Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Steve Trussell. Steve is a career sourcing and procurement professional with experience in a wide range of industries and focus areas. After starting his career in manufacturing, he went on to work in retail, automotive, aerospace, and heavy equipment sourcing. Today, he's applying his knowledge to the challenges of other procurement teams, helping them understand and address their challenges. So, hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Kelly. Thank you for having me. So, in my intro, I shared that you've worked, well, everywhere. Um, But beyond that super broad range of industries and and focus areas, can you share a little bit more specifics about your background and experience with the listening audience? Um, Sure. Yeah. So, I I started my career in manufacturing um, right out of college, buying raw material and packaging for an injection molding company. Um, so I, I got in on the ground floor there of manufacturing, learning how things are made um, and worked up through that company, ran one of the factories within that organization for a couple of years. So I have that factory management experience. Um, and some of those were through acquisitions. So I have that experience of stepping into an organization that's being folded into another one, you know, and there's, mm-hmm. there's both structural as well as emotional and, and personality type of things you have to take into, into play there when you're to do that successfully. Um, worked there for, for about, about six years and then moved into the automotive industry with Toyota. And that's when I really first got into strategic sourcing um, and understood supplier management and category management. They do it very, very well there. Um, and understanding how to, how to do that, how to look at a category, understand where you need to be in three to five years, and then start to develop that plan to get there, making sure you have the right suppliers in place and the right relationships and that you're managing those categories correctly. You know, I had worked for uh, in the heavy equipment industry, doing a lot of low cost country sourcing after that for a few years, and then moved into the consumer goods industry where I had the opportunity to transform some organizations uh, from global sourcing and procurement organizations. Um, for three nationally branded companies. Um, a couple of them were through just the things weren't working well. The organization wasn't structured right. There was conflict and friction with the rest of the business. Supply relationships were broken. So having to step in and fix those. And one of them was an M&A, a merger and acquisition, where they basically brought me into, um, as they said, you know, blow up Asia and start over again. So <laughs> I was able to take two organizations and fold them together. Um, one thing that's unique about my background is I have that on, all of that on the supplier side, if you will, the OEM and supplier side, mm-hmm. uh, but then also have um, experience in merchandise sourcing and retailers, mm-hmm. um, not only working it within one of those and helping to build an organization, a sourcing organization, but basically building a brand new one from scratch for, for a, a, a major retailer. Um, after that, I moved into just kind of having, I've, I've had my own, had had my own business for a few years, just doing things on the side. Um, but as my kids started getting older and started looking at, Hey, I'm, you know, how do I 
pass on this information, all this stuff that I've learned over the years? Um, how do I make sure I pass that on to other organizations and to the, the next crew of people that are coming up within sourcing and procurement? Um, so I've had my own business for a few years just doing that on a contract basis and you know just a project type basis of category management, structure review, looking at strategies, um, looking at their organizations and how they how they negotiate and, and, and the processes they have in place. You know, I tell people just as a summary of I've sourced everything from dollar picture hangers to space shuttle components in 25 countries around the world. So it's given me a pretty good <laughs> viewpoint on how things are done all over. And I think this is a, a an interesting time, not only for, you know, everybody, but but looking at sourcing and procurement specifically, um, you know, the last few years with the pandemic and before that, the uh, a lot of the um, tariff issues that we had coming up, it really is kind of focusing on... Uh, making sure we have those category and have risk mitigation in place in those categories and understanding where we need to be um, and making sure you have your, you have your insurance in place if you need it. You know, you, whenever, if you wait to buy insurance until you need it, it gets really expensive. Yes. So you want to make sure you have that in place beforehand. And in order to do that, you have to have the strategy and the structure and the people and processes in place to do that. Now, the complexity of the landscape that you talk about actually makes my, my next question all that, much more of a logical follow-on. You know, when I think about you sort of dropping into all of these different industries and companies, and it sounds like from your experience, you've done a lot of fixing, right? Not necessarily mm -hmm. in the mafia sense, yeah. but but coming in and like, there's an issue, I'm, I'm here to address an issue. In my mind, because I've done some of that work, I think of it as being a little bit like the Hunger Games, where you're dropped into this high stakes scenario and your first thought is, okay, where am I and what's the immediate threat, right? So. Right that very quick assessment of what's my situation, who are the influencers, who are the problems, who are the roadblocks, what do my priorities need to be? When you find yourself in one of those new situations, what are the first things that you look for, whether good or bad? How do you figure out company culture and things quickly? What's sort of your short-term, okay, where am I and what do I do first kind of strategy? Yeah, it's a great it's a great point, and it is kind of like the Hunger, Hunger Games getting dropped in sometimes. Um, what the way I look at it is, and, and there's a sense of urgency around it because you only have a few weeks where you don't own the problem yet. You know, if you right. wait too long, whatever problems in place now becomes yours. You know, and you don't have that ability to come in as that almost neutral third party and say, "Hey, I'm just stepping in. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Right? Help me out." You can have people on a, a neutral ground at that point, but the longer you wait, the more you, it becomes your problem. And then, then those type of things come into play. But I really try to, and one thing I've learned over the years is in that interview process initially is where you start to build, not the solution, but understand where you're going to start asking questions. And what I try to do is make sure that, you know, if, if it's been presented that, Hey, we need you to come in and fix something. Then during that interview process, even before I take the job, I wanted to talk to the heads of, the organization, excuse me, the other people that, that you're going to be dealing with, right? Um, the heads of engineering, quality, uh, product development, marketing, whatever they are to, to kind of get a, a better feel for, you know, having more data points around what the true problem is, right? Okay. Um, and then once you step in, it's having that next level of conversations. And what I try to do is be very transparent when I come in um, and set those expectations up front is that, hey, I'm stepping in. We've already talked about this during the interview process, but just to reiterate, here's the problem we're trying to solve for. Um, here's what the initial 
assessment is I'm trying to validate that or find out if it's something else. And I need your help to do that. I need to understand the business better. I need to understand the culture better. And I try to make sure that I listen a lot more than I talk at that point. Mm-hmm. Make sure that I'm because because a lot of times you'll hear things that people don't necessarily want to. They're neither not wanting to tell you, but they don't know, don't know they're telling you. Right. Yes. You can you can gather where friction might be just by the way someone approaches or the way someone describes a situation. Um, so, so that's what I try to do. And then also set the expectation that, um, you know, we're going to dig into this and we're going to figure out what the problem is. We're going to get to the root cause. And if it's within sourcing and procurement within my organization, we're going to stand up, raise our hand and say, you know, we're, this is it. This is the problem we've identified and here's what we're doing to fix it. All I ask from you as a partner within the organization is if, if we find out that the problem is within your sphere of influence or your responsibility, I expect you to step up and, and do that too. I'll help you any way I can to solve it, but I expect you to take ownership of it. Yeah. Um, and one thing I've learned the hard way also is whoever's brought you in, whether it's the CEO, the COO, the, you know, whatever the, the title is for that, of that organization, whoever's brought you in, you need to be linked in with them very, very tightly on communicating what you're hearing and what you're finding. I kind of didn't do that in the first role where I did this. And I kind of got burned a little bit <laughs> uh, because they didn't really understand that, Hey, I was getting friction from another play and they can kind of help you play through some of that too. Right. They can be a, 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 if, if the friction that I'm having as a vice president is with the C, you know, the chief engineering officer, the chief marketing officer, they can have a peer to peer conversation where I can't, you know, it's about learning to and, and understanding the structure of the organization and learning how to pull those, those strings that you need to in order to get, get what you need done. Now, you said something a minute ago that I want to follow up on because I think it's really important. You talked about the true problem, right? So you come in and there's a lot of it's new. There's a lot of complications. How do you go about separating the symptoms of the true problem from what the true problem is itself? Uh, Very good question. And I think some of it comes back to understanding just as human nature, a lot of times, if, if we have a lot of things on our plate and things aren't going well, the solution is going to be, you know, whether it's it's intentional or not, the solution is going to be, I've solved the problem if I've been able to get it on somebody else's desk. <laughs> you know? And that's a hard way to put it, I know, but that's really what it is sometimes. It's like it's not on my plate anymore. Somebody else has to deal with it. Sometimes it's not meant to be, you know, derogatory toward that other person. It's just that I've got a lot of things I got to do. Now this one's off my plate. Um, Sometimes there are some political things that are going on. I've run into those as well. And you just have to deal with them. Um, But what I try to do is just go back to the things they teach you in lean, which is, you know, the the theory of the five whys, right? You got to ask the question, why five times until you get to the root cause? Um, and that's another point about listening and talking to as many people as you can in a short period of time, talking to suppliers, talking to, uh, people on the, if it's a manufacturing facility and you've got problems with, with quality coming in from suppliers, talking to folks on the line, if you've got, um, you know, all kind, you, whoever is involved in that process or touches that product or that, that those commodities that you're trying to source or, or what have you talking to any, everybody that you can and getting their take on it. And it's just more data points to be able to get to that, that final question. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's about, it's just about whittling it, whittling it down. Um, I'll give you a, a quick example. When I worked in the heavy equipment industry, we had a factory in Iowa that had been making pro they, they were vertically integrated. They made everything internally and we were trying to outsource a lot of things as a, as a corporation. And 
you know, there were a couple of components that we just couldn't find anybody with the drawings that we had to, that could source it anywhere in the world. And the, uh, you know, the factory management, you know, held that up as a, you know, we do it better than anybody. Nobody else can touch this. I finally went out on the floor and talked to the, one of the machine, the machinists that ran the, the, the machine that made those products with the drawing. And he kind of looked at me and chuckled. He said, we haven't made it like that in 30 years. We couldn't hold those tolerances either. So it, it's one of those things where you start whittling down and just, yeah. just asking a lot of questions and continuing to ask questions. And I think when you're building a team to step into something like that as well, a, a critical point for me is what I always look for is not necessarily always the category experience, but somebody that has a really healthy curiosity mm-hmm. that wants to figure things out and that enjoys going in and, and solving problems and understanding new processes and understanding things. That to me is a healthy curiosity, oftentimes, especially in a transformational role, is much more important than somebody that comes in with a lot of cat- a really deep category experience. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you talk about, you know, some people solve problems by moving them onto other people's desks, right? And depending on the culture of the organization, companies may have unintentionally incentivized like a chucker kind of behavior, like just get it away from me, make it somebody else's problem. That way I don't have to deal with it. So shaping the team's mindset around problems, right? It's about wanting people to be associated with having been part of the solution. Do you, do you find it a challenge? Is it incredibly important to you as you come into these transformational situations to shape the way people see and think about the problem so that they're willing to stay close and help fix it versus running the other way or, or ducking behind something? How does that fit into your approach? I think that that the the point you made that was very critical there is you know about um, goal alignment and incentivizing people to be part of the the, the solution, um, and I think that a lot of that is going away with the more matrixed environment uh, okay. organizations that we see. They're not as siloed. There still are, and when you do, I mean that that's where I I tend to try not to come in and be uh, um, you know squeaky wheel or the loudest guy in the room or whatever you want to call it. But if there's not goal alignment, that's one I'm going to pound on the table on and making sure as an organization that our goals are aligned because that drives behavior to your point. I mean, I've always believed that people don't come in every day to say, okay, whose life can I make hard today? Right. They come and say, okay, I want to, I want to add value. I want to be part of a solution. I want to drive the company forward. I want to feel like I've succeeded in something. Most people don't get up a day and say, okay, who am I going to make mad today? Or who am I going to, you know, there are a few who do that, but the, they're very few, right? Most people want to do the right thing coming in the door. Yeah. And I think that as organizations, by creating those silos and not having goals aligned all the way to the top um, and, and, you know, agreement across organizations that, hey, we're going to work together on this because we're all incentivized to be successful here the same way. Um, if you don't have that the organization, if you don't have that as an organization, you're going to create those inherent walls and people aren't going to want to be involved. Yeah. Um, and so that's one that I'm, I make sure I'm very vocal on when I come in. And I think that's a key is making sure you have goal alignment. And if you don't have it specifically aligned, then it's having those what can be difficult conversations, but are some very upfront conversations and, and, and respectfully with your peers 
in other departments within the organization, if you're stepping in and saying, hey, I realize that this isn't something that you guys benefit from, but we do. And if we benefit, the entire organization's benefits, how do we work on this together? How do we include this in our process going forward? You know, so that that's something that, that I think is a, is a very is a big key. And and if you can be successful around that, that that eliminates some of that, you know, throwing it over the wall to somebody else to solve. Um, and, you know, and I try to bring people in when I bring build an organization, I bring people in that are going to do the right thing for the company um, first and foremost. Um, and, you know, so so that's what I kind of focus on. And, and I think that that helps in a lot of ways. But you got to have that alignment across the organization that, hey, we're all in this together. This is whoever solves it's not important. And wherever the problem really was really in the end wasn't important. The importance is that we identified it and we solved it. Now, the last sort of transformation related topic that I want to circle back on with you, actually, it's come up a couple of times very briefly during our conversation. And that's the role of time in all of this. You know, I think when you talked about your background, maybe it was when you transitioned to automotive, you talked about the fact that you were sort of constantly planning three to five years out. Um, Mm -hmm. When dropping into a new organization, you talked about, okay, what's the level of urgency? How long do I have in the situation before this problem becomes mine? And I think time is so critical because you both need to have a sense of urgency and a focus on the immediate challenges but you can't lose sight of that, you know, whatever the equivalent of the three to five year sort of planning scope is. How do you sort of keep one eye on the short term issues and keep the other one on the horizon and help those two things connect? That is a definite struggle that I think everybody has inherently. Um, You know, I think, especially in the business world that we're in today, you know, I go back to when I was in the automotive industry, you know, product development, developing a new uh, car at that time was 36 to 40 months. They've got it down less than two years now. And you look at the life cycle on electronic products, it's you know six months at the most, right? Usually when something's hitting, the, when something's out and selling in volume, they're already you know starting to advertise the, the replacement. Yeah. So it's about understanding what is strategic and what is driving the direction of the company and then what is tactical that is, and, and, and I always say strategy is doing the right things and tactic is doing, tactics is doing things right. You got to understand and make sure that what you're doing follows those right things, the path, but then you've got to make sure that you do things right. And so to me, that comes back to, again, you know, category management mm-hmm. is about identifying the three to five year plan and where do we need our supply base to be. But then it's also taking a hard look at what's my baseline? Where am I at now? And how do I manage those suppliers in the short term and fix problems that we have now? So it's, and that's the doing things right. You know, the doing the right things is having the right supplier in place with the right book of business. And then the, the, the tactics is making sure that we're on time, good quality, um, product development support, engineering support, all those things that we agreed to as, a, as, as partners that the suppliers were going to provide and that we were going to support making sure all that kind of falls into play. And I think a lot of that is, is really about planning and it's about yeah. being com- communicating. When I step into a new role, I typically will take a first thing I'll ask in the interview process to everybody is, you know, 30, 60, 90. What do you think if somebody were to step into this role and be successful, what would be the 30, 60, 90 day things that you would want them, you'd think they would need to achieve? You know, I'll ask everybody that, but I really focus on whoever's hiring me. You know, what do you want me to be successful at in the first 30, 60, 90 days? 
And then I also will come back and I'll put together, okay, after the first two weeks, usually, um, sometimes quicker, depending on how fast the business moves. Okay. And now I've, I've, I'm two weeks in, here's what I think that 30, 60, 90 today day plan looks like. And here's the strategic and here's the tactical things we need to attack in that period and then get their alignment and agreement with that. Cause that goes a long way to, you know, as long as you're communicating that and you're working towards that, then a lot of time, you know, people will tend to get out of your way and let you go and do what you need to do. It's when you're not communicating back what's going on. That's when there's a lot of questions. Yeah. And it's even more difficult when your organization is halfway around the world. Now it's easier now than it was, but I can tell you back in the mid two thousands, when I was doing this with global sourcing organizations based in Asia, I mean, you know, it was tough sometimes to get a, uh, a, a internet connection, let alone a, a conference call, a video call. So it was all done by email and text and phone calls in the middle of the night. Um, and, you know, you disappear for two weeks. And, and a lot of people, a lot of people, unless you made the concerted effort, you were out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And so you had to make sure you were connected in there to, to be able to communicate what's going on and what are you doing so that there aren't those questions about, we've just brought this new guy and what's happening. He hasn't done anything in two weeks because there's no, there's nothing tangible they can see yet. But what you're really doing in that first month or so is understanding the business, starting to develop a plan and starting to move toward that and bringing in the right people. Now, Steve, as we start to kind of wind down our time, I want to ask you a question that I actually put to everybody that joins Mm -hmm. me here on The Sourcing Hero. And I'll tell you right up front, you actually have two options. You have a lot of sourcing experience, but not everybody that joins me on the podcast does. So to be fair, I'll, I'll give everybody both options. So what I would like to know from you is either what is your definition of a sourcing hero or how would you define what heroism looks like in a business context? Man, those are, those are, those are tough questions. Those are tough questions. I know I always hear from people, this, this is like the question, this is the moment, right? This is the Rorschach test because (laughs) no matter what everybody says up front, this is the question. We're like, what's he going to say? You know? Yeah. I think that to me, a sourcing hero, especially in today's environment, where things are, and I, I call it, it's like it's like trying to hit a moving target. You know, things are changing. Just when we thought we had things under under wraps with the tariffs and all that kind of stuff, then the pandemic hits. You know, and then the pandemic's over, and now we got the Ukrainian situation that's impacting commodities and all that all that kind of stuff. So. Um, you know, and we've got the ongoing supply chain issues that tend to change from day to day. And to me, it's about a sourcing hero in an organization is the person that has become the EF Hutton of the sourcing organization. That when they talk, people listen, when questions are asked about what's inflation going to do, what's going on in the commodities, what's, what's, what, what are we doing? What can we do? You know, and maybe not having the complete solution, but understanding and being able to communicate, well, this is the direction we need to go. You know, and I think it's specific, one specific area is around, as I mentioned earlier, risk mitigation. Yeah. It's being able to get organizations on board with the complexities, but the benefits of dual sourcing on an item, which is something that very few companies are comfortable with or structured to manage. Um, but it's something I think that's key going forward is having not just one source for, especially your critical items, if they're non-commodities, if it's a critical item that you've had to develop with a supplier or you've developed internally and you've, you've sourced that out, or if it's a specific material that you're getting from someone um, that is very specific. 
how do I develop a second source or how do I mitigate risk and be able to communicate that it's not always about just that low cost right now. It's about how do I potentially, if it's inflationary, do I buy ahead a little bit? How do I manage that? It's managing all those those types of things that aren't as easy to understand. But I, I think to me, that's the hero in an organization right now is being able to step up and say, hey, and this is this is an environment, especially with the inflation that we're facing and the and the supply chain issues and outages. It's an environment where there's no you know um, magic pill that's going to make it all go away. No. And, and companies need to understand that and need to understand that it's just not the supplier's fault. And I'm just not going to pay, or I'm I'm you know I don't know why they're not supplying me and all that kind of stuff. Just being able to communicate and understand that hey, here's the here's the overall macro environment. And this is the, this is the approach we need to take, and this is the best approach. And it may not always be that we may have to pay a little more. We may have to buy ahead. We have to hold a little more inventory. But you know, this is the benefits of doing that. Be able to communicate that within an organization, and not just be in a firefighting mode day after day after day. Yeah. Well, Steve, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, I appreciate you sharing. You such a have a you have a wealth of seasoned advice. Right. That's you've lived through a lot. You've seen a lot. And I appreciate everything that you've shared. If folks that are listening in don't already know you, but would like to get in touch, connect, maybe ask you more questions, benefit from your experience in more direct ways, what is the best way for them to get in touch? I live on LinkedIn. I mean, that's that's the place to reach <laughs> Good for me. you, um, Steve. I'm it's a good a, place to be. I'm not a big social media guy. Um, I have social media just to follow my teenagers to make sure they're not doing something stupid. <laughs> um, so, um, but that's the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. Steve Trussell, just search me out there. I'm search me out there. I'm, I'm on there. I'm on there every day. I'm going to start posting a little more. Um, now that both my kids are in college, I'll have a little bit more extra time to start doing some more posting, some more in-depth stuff. Cause there's so much out there that, you know, and, and there's so many things that are happening within this uh, discipline that, you know, I, I think we we need to to stay on top of. And like I said, it's a moving target. Things change every day. It seems like so we've we've got to we've got to communicate together and figure out the best source best solutions together. Absolutely, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, um, Steve. Thank you so much for being here with me on the Sourcing Hero today. Kelly, thank you. It's great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.